Welcome to Pushing Through. I am Tay Frazier, and as always, I am joined by BJ Armstrong, a.k.a. The Kid. And today we have a very special guest, a man with a theory, a hypothesis, whatever you want to call it, but he's got a story out. He is senior NBA writer for Yahoo Sports, Vincent Goodwill. He's also a Detroit native, so BJ is fired up yet again. How's it going, Vincent? <laughs> I'm going well. I'm from the east side, the real part of the city. Okay. BJ is from the west side, the kind of privileged part of the city. That's where he's from. <laughs> well, Vinny, we're not going to argue. We're all together. <laughs> we're united up here in Detroit. I appreciate you for coming on, my friend. But before we get started, just want to get your thoughts on this return, this bubble. Mm-hmm. Kind of what is your perspective? I'm sure you're talking to a lot of people down there. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, on the return coming back down in uh, in Orlando. Well, it's really ambitious if you think about it, you know, with Florida being sort of ground zero for the pandemic and sort of the lack of masks, the lack of social distancing, the testing, the numbers going up and everything else. But, you know, the Disney campus was the best place uh, the league determined to have sort of an enclosed atmosphere, uh, some of the amenities that the players and the coaches and everybody would have wanted to be in. So it wasn't the perfect state, but it was the perfect campus and i think in these situations bj you know from your line of work on both sides of it it presents a lot of opportunity for people to be in close quarters with each other and have conversations and talk business so i think a lot of business conversations are going to be had over the next several weeks couple of months i mean you're going to be there from the late june early july to maybe october for some teams and you get tired of looking at the walls you get tired of talking to the same guys every day and there's only so many people you can have family conversations with so inevitably i think those conversations are going to turn to guys on the other teams i had one coach tell me that the next super team bj will be birthed out of this bubble he didn't mm. say which players he wasn't you know saying hey this is what i know he was just saying the atmosphere of activities and the proximity is conducive to the next super team being born. And when I look at all the factors in place, when I look at you know, how so many players are on Zoom calls together discussing so many uh, avenues of business, wh- whether it's uh, some of the initiatives the leagues are putting in place or just the return to play plan, guys are getting to know each other that did not know each other before. They're developing bonds. They're talking about what it means to be black, what it means to be black in America that can develop into a bond over something common and then you just have basketball as another backdrop and inevitably those conversations can turn into hmm when's your contract up you want to play together <laughs> just saying <laughs> you got BJ you got BJ very interested with this whole idea and the thought that you know this could this could birth such a thing a super team and and we want to remind people right we want to reflect back on the, the era of super teams in, in this past decade because the first one was formed with the decision um, yep. obviously and, and that was you know LeBron and Chris Bosh going to the Miami Heat Dwayne Wade doesn't take a lot of meetings around people are curious to say the least about that then we find out that they're going to all team up in Miami then people trace it back to USA basketball so is the bubble going to be the new face of this is, is the bubble the new usa basketball is that what we're saying today that's the exact analogy that people gave to me was that mm-hmm. it's very similar to the aau circuit it's very similar to usa basketball when the usa basketball was in vegas where a lot of it is stripped down it's mm-hmm. not you know you and your boys and everybody else that's around you your circle it's you so when you are talking to the players of you know similar backgrounds and you know similar ages, you have a lot of things in common, and you got to be somewhere in the close quarters where usually and during the NBA season, a team may get to a place the night before, maybe two nights before if they're on a road trip. There's not a lot of time to fraternize. There's not a lot of time to get together, 
you know what I'm saying, with other guys, and you're in this unusual environment, I believe the phrase someone used, used to me earlier was misery loves company. And if that's the case, you you got to be able to commiserate over some of the things that you're frustrated about. You got to wear a mask in public. You got to quarantine. All these unnatural circumstances. And, and, and we all know sometimes bonding over frustrations can create a relationship and some commonalities and, and wind up birthing friendships and everything else. So, you know, and yeah, the USA, not only did LeBron and Wade and Boss bond over USA basketball, Kyrie Irving, Kevin mm-hmm. Durant, DeAndre Jordan, 2016 Olympics in Rio, on the boat and everything else, that's where they hatched their plan to play together. And weeks before that, Kevin Durant said, I'm leaving OKC to go to Golden State. And he was already planning and plotting his next move. Well, Vinny, this is very interesting. I, I certainly didn't anticipate this. But since we're here, mm-hmm. we have to be discussing those players that will actually impact the game. And more than likely, we're talking about star players. Yep. Would you happen to have it with any of your resources, any destinations that could potentially be or potentially, you know, put together these type of scenario that we're discussing here i don't see a destination yet because i don't believe these conversations i've been had in depth a lot of these guys have just gotten there right Mm -hmm. they haven't even started even playing uh exhibition games but the way it was laid out to me you know you know coach was like look i'm standing in this hotel and there's three other teams in this hotel i walk in i walk to the elevator there's all-star player x in the elevator with me i get up on one floor he gets off on the next floor What's to stop me and him from golfing together? And this this is just a coach, let alone we're talking about players who have similar interests and everything else. And then you decide, we know, as we realize, that's a, does destination matter? It does matter for the league. Does it matter for the players? Because if it mattered for the players, the Brooklyn Nets would not be the destination for Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Jordan. The destination would have been the New York Knicks. So I don't know if there's the destination that's going to be selected as much as it's going to be, hey, we can all take shorter extensions. Let's figure out what the money's going to look like for the league coming out of this pandemic. And let's figure out a plan where maybe we can group up and play together. And I have to ask this. I mean, one of the things that, you know, BJ and I have talked about a lot uh, from the last dance and as we were watching the last dance together the camaraderie between the players, right? The guys that you can't just go into your cell phone and get away from everybody. You can't isolate yourself. And now these guys are all in this bubble. Like you said, they, there's no one around them. They're, they don't have their people around them. They don't have their family. They don't have their girlfriend, whatever it may be. So they have to be themselves. And yeah. then the the chemistry of the team is then tested because everyone is being themselves. They have no other outside influence. So is there is there something that could happen where we see guys have better friendships on other teams and some weird competitive things that happen within the bubble where you're like, no, it's a good play, you know, Kuzma and Donovan Mitchell's giving him like a, a slap on the butt. Everyone's like, what is going on here? Well, I mean, think about it like this. There's a group of players. Think about it like this, Tate. There's a group of players who they don't have their money yet. Like yep. they're on their rookie scale contracts and they know under normal circumstances, they're supposed to be getting paid off of those rookie scale deals. Yep. So they went off and they had to talk to each other about getting insurance policies. So these guys didn't know, like think of the class of 2017, the Jason Tatums, the Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchells, all these guys who will be in line to make really big money in the normal circumstances. We don't know what the money's going to look like. We don't mm-hmm. know what guys health is going to look like. So they had to get on calls together to talk about, Hey, Maybe we should all get insurance policies. Maybe we, we should be inquiring with Michelle Roberts and Ron Klempner 
and figuring out exactly what our options are for the future. Through those things develops a commonality that maybe these guys had never really crossed paths before. And now you're in this spot where there's some there's some camaraderie over just almost the uncertainty of what our future is going to look like as individuals. So yeah, now that I see you on campus, now that I see you on the floor, I'm more likely to pat you on the butt. I'm more likely to pay attention to your game and see, okay, maybe Jason Tatum does work well with Donovan Mitchell. Maybe we can work on opposite sides of the floor and and figure out how we can play together and everything. So I'm just saying as an example, I'm not Mm -hmm. presenting these two guys in that way, but just saying you start looking at things differently when you're introduced to someone as a person as opposed to them just being in a uniform. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, Vinny, over the years, you've cultivated great relationships with players and people around the league. With this pandemic and everything that's going on, how has that affected your business? Because – you won't have that opportunity to have one-on-one time with, you know, players away mm-hmm. from, you know, the, the you know, when players were in the, you know, let's say public spaces. And then you can kind of slide off and maybe get a one-on-one. So how is that going to affect your business and you looking forward, moving forward to how you're going to really do your job? It's a big unknown, BJ. You know, a lot of times people, you know, on my side, on a, you know, on the national side, like you want to get the interviews after the interviews. Yep. But that requires the locker room access. That requires the in-person trust. You know what I'm saying? That requires, okay, hey, can I get you off to the side? Let me walk, talk to you while you walk into the bus. Let me talk to you while you're changing before you do your media after. It's going to look a lot different, man. We don't know if we're going to be allowed into locker rooms after all this is over, BJ. You know what I'm saying? Like, they may try to limit the contact that players have with the outside world, you know, until we get a vaccine. And even after we get a vaccine, this thing is still going to be very much out there. It's just going to be something that's preventable, treatable, you know what I'm saying, that type of thing. But you're still going to have to take preventative measures. So even now, you can't call up a player and say, hey, let's go get a drink. You know what I'm saying? If you're in your home market or they're around you or something like that. BJ, I'm sure you had relationships with people from the media. You know, know, that when you came home to Detroit, you could link up with people who covered you your entire life that knew you before you became BJ Armstrong from the Bulls. You could probably sit down and talk to Terry Foster and, and Drew mm-hmm. Sharp and those type of guys, you know, because you had those relationships back then. Now it's tougher to develop those relationships, so it's going to be tougher to cash in unless the paradigm changes completely and like media will all adjust. We'll figure out what the new normal is. Maybe there'll be Zoom calls in the future. Maybe there'll be, you know, just, you know, a lot of times we text guys anyway. You know what I'm saying? A lot mm-hmm. of relationships is, aren't necessarily as direct, but you cash in on them once you get in person. So it's going to look completely different in the future. But we don't know what the new normal is going to look like, BJ. We have no clue. And that's kind of intriguing, but kind of scary. So, Vinny, are you are you going down at some point to the bubble? And if so, what has been kind of the process right now? Because, you know, we haven't seen. I've heard from the players. But what is the process now? Are they just available via a Zoom call now? Or how is it working now? Well, now there's a lot of Zoom calls with the media who aren't in the bubble. Um, so if you're, if it's only 10 reporters there, non ESPN, you know, Disney type of personnel. So it's the opportunity comes to swap in mid September. So if, if you are of an outlet that has someone already there and they want to take a break or they want to leave and they say this six weeks was enough for me, then you can swap out, you know what I'm saying? Per outlet. That's kind of dependent on, you know, whoever's there, like Chris Haynes, I work with him at Yahoo. He's there with Turner. So he can make a decision in mid September hey, you know what, I've had my field, I want to swap out, and I'll go swap, you know, swap for him unless the league changes their rules, which I'm not sure how likely it is, depending on how the pandemic goes, depending on what, you know, all this looks like in September when there's fewer teams 
you're loosening up a little bit of the rules to let outside personnel in. You know what I'm saying? If, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that yesterday where there was a member that went off to some of the other teams where, you know, five people from other franchises can come in. They can't stay in the bubble, but they can come to games and everything else. So, you know, lo- the rules can loosen up little by little as this goes on. And they, they leave you to a very strict environment, BJ. If you go there, you have to quarantine for a week. Mm-hmm. If you're a media person and you're staying on the campus, as soon as you get there, the league picks you up in a shuttle. They physically take you to the bubble. You go to your room and you they bring you your your food. Like, you know, not quite like you're a prisoner, but you're not going anywhere. They mm-hmm. bring you your food. You are stuck in your room. You get tested every day. And they make sure that even if you come in contact or very little contact with players, they're going to make sure that you're not putting yourself in any harm's way. And you're not going to, in, in short, BJ, no media person is going to mess up his money. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that, Benny. Hey, and I have to ask you, I mean, the NBA players and, and NBA, just the personnel and people around the league, right? The NBA players themselves, they thrive in the gray area. Like one example of that to me as a basketball player is the gather step, right? That's a gray area. It's like, yeah, now we're going to use this. We're going to create this space and time to create a gather step, which is not a travel. And that's how we're going to advance the game. So if that's how players work and operate, right, that's who's in the bubble. Now there's so much gray area, like you said, like I could go play golf with a coach you know I can I can be around and go leak information to this media reporter who's eating in the same dining room as me um, right. as someone who is you know in that field in that space are you I mean not anticipating but is there a chance that we could see some stories we've never seen before come out of this bubble I think there's a chance that you remove the filter yeah you know a lot of times that's a great point yep the access that you get to players is through the team filter is through the locker room it's through mm-hmm other eyes watching. So players are going to be very cognizant and aware of what they say. Even if they're not saying anything harmful, they're more likely going to have that filter up. You know, when you're in a locker room setting, when you're in a team sanctioned setting, if you're in this gray area, you're more likely to try to find things that make you feel normal. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You're going to do things that make you feel, even in conversation, you know what I'm saying? You're going to try to establish some level of not gray, but black or white. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And if mm-hmm. that relationship that you have leads to, hey, I forgot this microphone is on, but I trust right. that you'll know how to you know, treat my comments with the right context and everything else. So yeah, I do think there's going to be um, some different types of content just because, A, who else do these players have to talk to in this setting? You know what I'm saying? BJ, you know a lot of these guys, they bring right. everybody on the road with them for the playoffs or the finals right. or whatever. Right. In this setting, you just it's just you and maybe you'll bring your family but maybe you won't maybe you don't want your family to be in this setting maybe you feel like your family being in a controlled setting in your home market is the best place for them and not in florida you know even in the in the disney bubble so there presents opportunities guys for there to be some unique stories some different stories some more three-dimensional stories. i think that's going to be a positive for everybody if it's treated properly on both sides you know, Vinny, when we look back on this, and clearly this is something none of us have experienced, right? As mm-hmm. executives, the league, fans, everyone. And you've been covering this, and, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's the world. You've become an expert at observing. What do you think, if you could look into your crystal ball, <laughs> what do you think this will be look when we look back on this two, three years from today? How do you think we will look back on this? And what do you think the significance of this moment holds in time? Because 
I don't really know what to think of it, right? I'm like, <laughs> like, I, I, is it a restart? Is it a new season? <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it the NBA? Is, I mean, it feels like a, a NCAA tournament. How do you think we're going to look back on this moment? Because it's it's a moment, but I'm trying to put it in some type of context. It's an inflection point for us. Like we will, everybody realizes where they were pre 9-11, post 9-11. Everybody will remember like this was the line where everything changed. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll realize, and I think the players have realized it to some degree, BJ, this is the moment everything changed. This is where the players realized their power. This is where the players realized they could push the league. This is where the players realized, hey, we have leverage here in the way that these owners don't get paid if we don't go out here and play. Like, I think when you see the raw numbers, they say the NBA is going to cost them $150 million to put this on. To me, that says they stand so much more to gain than $150 million or they have to save so much more than $150 million because there's one thing I know about big business. Big business is not charitable. So they have so much to gain on in this thing, BJ, that I think the players, I won't say galvanized because I think I don't. I think in the NBA players have been much more together than other sports. You know, just because it's a smaller number, it's a more compact number that there's. You know, there's not as much room for separation. But I think even now, some of the, especially some of the younger guys, BJ, they see some of the things that have happened. They're more connected to the streets than a lot of these older guys. The older guys have gotten paid. They're more connected to. I won't say the corporate side, but they're more connected to the money. They're more connected to the business. These younger guys are more connected to the ground. And the ground has been causing all of the upheaval, all of the uproar that's been going on in this country, all of the stuff that's been happening. You know what I'm saying? It's been people-led. It hasn't been corporate-led. It hasn't been celebrity-led. It hasn't been athlete-led. I think, remember, I don't know if you guys saw Dave Chappelle's uh, schedule, I mean, uh, a special, yep. and he said, why are y'all asking me to say something? The people are leading this. I don't need to say anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the tactic that the NBA players, when they go back and look at this, when Jason Tatum is 30 instead of 20 and all these other guys and they develop some maturity, then be like, wait a minute, we accomplished all of that because we, we stuck together, we pushed the league, we challenged the league, and we were able to move this stuff forward. Now, a lot of the, the names on the back of the jerseys are kind of sanitized to me. You know what I'm saying? They're not attacking anything. It's very safe. You know what I mean? It's not going at the quote-unquote police. It's not really going at the system, but it's so much more than the NBA would have ever given the players had, the, had they not realized that the players had a whole lot of leverage and they were willing to utilize that leverage. Mm -hmm. Now, if you take that as the next starting point, if they choose to utilize it down the line, you're not starting from zero. You're starting from 30. You're starting from 40. And that gives you much quicker to not equality, but equity. Mm -hmm. Equity is what matters in this. You know, Vin, I want to ask you a quick question, Vin. You you said something. I think about this a lot, and I want to ask you, because okay. you've been around. You know, LeBron James has been at the forefront of the league for quite some time. I mean, he mm -hmm. has been the face and and kind of the leader. You know, every every now and then there are players, the Jordans, and, you know, they'll, they'll come and they'll take the mantle. What player or young players you were talking about, who is behind LeBron James? domestic player that's that you see is not only has the skill set in the game to do that but what young player do you think is ready to take on that responsibility because lebron james has held this responsibility longer than any player that i can recall since 2007 probably 
I mean, he's held the best player title in the league for a long time. What young player now that LeBron James in what year, what, 18 or 19 mm-hmm. now? What young player is ready to take that mantle behind him that we see that's ready to do that? BJ, that's the most intriguing thing about this because I don't know that there is one, mm-hmm. right? Like, we can say that Zion is going to do it, right? But he's 19, he's a baby. You know what I'm saying? And he hasn't played enough for us to see him and hear him enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. even LeBron, when he came in, he was so available that that gave us a level of trust in him that he was able to, so I won't say cash in on, but mm-hmm. we were we didn't have any qualms of handing him the mantle of being able to carry the league. You know what I'm saying? Michael Jordan carried the league for the better part of, let's say, night, from, from the moment that Magic Johnson said, I got HIV. The league was Michael Jordan's. And it even was still his league during the years that he was retired until we were completely sure that Michael Jordan was out of the league, even the Wizard years. Michael mm-hmm. Jordan was still the face of the NBA. So I don't know. There's only been a couple faces. It's basically going from Magic and Larry and before that Dr. J to Matt, to Michael to pretty much LeBron. And that's been it. it. And maybe it'll be, you know, someone that we don't see coming. Maybe it'll be, you know, I hate mentioning high school players' names. Maybe it'll be a kid like Amani Bates or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if Kevin Durant wants that when LeBron mm-hmm. steps away. He's still got enough years where, you know, he'll have the game to do it, but will he have the desire and the savvy to want to take on everything that comes with being the face of the league? You got to want that. That's a heavy weight to carry. And I don't know if I see one guy in particular, BJ, maybe be a few guys that, that carry it together, but this league is so much bigger than what it was in 2003, so much bigger than what it was in 2010. It can't just be one guy. Because when I, when I think about it now, as you were talking, I was thinking of all the best young players. They're basically form-born players. I mean, mm-hmm. the MVP last year was Giannis. Yep. You know, Luka Doncic was, what, rookie of the year? Yep. Mm-hmm. Rudy Gobert was defensive player of the year? Yep. Siakam was, was he most improved? Or, yep, Siakam yeah, most improved. Most improved. You know, you got Jokic, you got Ben Simmons, you got Embiid. Joel Embiid. Yep. So you have the, the best young players, or some of the top young players, are form-born. And uh, I just is that a warning? Is that a warning sign for you, BJ? I, I have no idea. I don't know. As you were talking, I was thinking about it. I was like, who's who's up next? Mm-hmm. You know, who's that guy that's up next, ready when that seat becomes vacated, right? And I don't know how long, but I got to think let LeBron at 19, 20 years old, which has been incredible for him to play at this level at this stage of his career. I mean, mm-hmm. let's. I mean, when you're playing at this level at year eighteen, year nineteen. We've never seen this before at this oh. level. So, uh, but I was just thinking as you were talking there. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe there'll, there'll be a gap period. You know what I'm saying? Maybe there will be a gap period where a guy like Stephen Curry, who's seeming like he's more coming into his own, but he's already 30. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't mm-hmm. see a guy like James Harden having the inclination to do it or, you know what I'm saying? We saw some the controversy he was in earlier today with the mask and not knowing what the mask stood for and everything else. Like, that's something a face of the league can't have. So, you know, will Jason Tatum develop into that? Will Trey Young develop into that? You know, there's a lot of great players who have, you can say, transcendent talent, but do they have the savvy? Do they have the ability to read the room and command the room? Like, Mm -hmm. regardless of what you want to say about LeBron, LeBron commands a room like very few people, and he does it by his own natural presence. 
there's, you know, I remember Michael Jordan at Kobe Bryant's funeral. We rarely see Michael Jordan do anything, but Michael Jordan's three minutes standing up there or six minutes or whatever it was talking up there, it was like, that's Michael Jordan. I don't care if he's 60 years old or 16, he commands a room and a stage in a way that very few people do it. And there's only, they don't, they don't make for so many of those guys, man. And BJ, I think it's similar to the question of, does New York need a superstar? Mm. It's like, do, do, do we need someone, does the league need someone American born to carry the league in the same argument of, does the New York Knicks need a superstar because they're the Knicks? but we've gone all these years without the Knicks having that standard barrier and the league has survived. The league could very well be able to survive for a few years without the next guy just being in front of our face. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of flip this back to, to super teams as we kind of wrap this thing up, because one of the things that I found fascinating at the end of the Cavaliers, LeBron second era uh, and the Kevin Durant, I'm going to the Warriors era, like 2018, 2017, uh, Durant was asked, or LeBron was asked if he was ever on a super team. He basically said, no, I was never on a super team. I've, I've been on good teams, but I've never been on a super team. Um, and then Kevin Durant's asked the same thing. He explains to the world, you know, where Clay was drafted, where Draymond was drafted, where Curry was drafted. He says he's never been on a super team. So both those guys, like, deny that being the case. So is there a chance we get a bunch of little super teams that come out of the bubble, but everyone denies it? So we have, like, this super team denial um, as, as guys shift around? I mean, here's the thing. It, it's like take a guy like Devin Booker, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm just I'm just throwing a name out of a hat. Not this is no Freudian slip, but Devin Booker's in Phoenix, yep. and as the number one guy, they haven't put a lot around him. But that's the number one guy he hasn't gotten to the playoffs. But if you put Devin Booker as someone playing next to Giannis, mm -hmm. right? Devin Booker will look like one of the top ten players in basketball. A because of the visibility, B because of the winning, and C because he's playing next to the MVP, right? But you wouldn't say that, oh, there's a super team over there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and Steph and Clay and all those guys can be drafted. You can be drafted where you're drafted, but if we redid the 2009 draft, Steph would be the first pick. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody can justify what happened. Like, LeBron James joined the team that had Dwayne Wade when you could argue Dwayne Wade had the best two-year stretch in the game at that particular point, statistically. In 09 and 10, he didn't win MVP, but when you average in 30, seven and six to me that that's that's super you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying and you mm -hmm. joined a team with him and then added chris bosh so you got to tell me what how that's not a super team <laughs> but i'm not a former player so i can't say you know what i'm saying <laughs> like everybody's going to say whatever they want to say to justify the reason why they're the reason basically what they're saying is i'm the reason we won these championships yep. not them and if that's fine, whatever, however you want to, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean, BJ? However you want right. to phrase it to give yourself the best, you know what I'm saying, the most confidence or the most credit or whatever the case may be. Kevin Durant was on a super team and so was LeBron. Period. Period. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> Period. <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, Vincent, we appreciate you coming on the show, man. And th this has been really great. We would love to have you come back on and break down things as they, as they come out in the bubble. And we'll definitely be keeping up with you as you break down stories. And for anyone out there in the world, go check out Vincent's story on what could come, what could be uh, from the bubble, a super team in the future. So, Vincent, again, thank you so much, man. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I don't know if I could be back on with BJ because he went. He's a Lions fan. I mean, he's hey, signing hey, up for misery. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey Megatron for life. About, you know what? I can't say anything because he's from Detroit, and only Detroiters can get away with talking about the. You Detroit know when I quit team. the Lions, BJ? When 
I quit the Lions when Barry Sanders quit the Lions. The day he retired, <laughs> I quit. I was 14 years old. I said, if you make the greatest running back in the history of the league, quit at age 30, I quit you. I'd say the same with me and Calvin Johnson. They made him get out, too. You can't do it's that. That's what I'm saying. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. I go way back. I go I go back to Lim Barney, Mel Farr. I'm sticking in here. I'm sticking in. I know these are my guys. Come on. Why, why, are you signing up? why are you signing up for misery? Because you know what? We from Misery Detroit. loves company. We learned that at the top hey, of the show. Uh, I'm from oh, Detroit. Do you, do, hey, they say do, do, we ain't do, do, you back. Ki- do you make your kids be Lions fans or do they, they Lions have freedom? fans? They Lions fans. That's part of the, that's part of the Armstrong household. It, it, it's your birthright mm. to be a Lions fan. That's what we do on Sunday. That's what we do. <laughs> what you know what we do. We may not win the game. But we gonna fight. We from Detroit. They I said they they said the economy is down. We like we from Detroit. We don't know that. I watch them, but I'm not rooting for them. I'm rooting I'm, for the Lions. That's what we do. That's, that's, what, we that's do. what we do. I watched my dad go through misery for six. He been in misery for sixty years. Why am I signing up for that? Yeah, hey, that's just what we do. I will that's be there. That's what we do. It ain't about winning the game. It's about six and ten. That's what we do. Come on. That's what we do. That's oh, what man. we do up there. But hey, but I appreciate you coming on, my hey, brother. Thanks for having man. me on, y'all. Man, we appreciate your work. It's beautiful. And you know you always got uh you got you got fans here. And again, thank you for coming on, Benny. Really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you, it, man. Appreciate y'all. All right. Take care, brother.